Welcome to this podcast from Central, Jesus at the Heart. More information is available from www.jesusattheheart.org. Why don't we turn in our Bibles to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 21. And we're in the middle of a series that we've called Parables because they're in the parables of Jesus. We're taking a look at the way in which Jesus told story, um, sometimes very clearly and sometimes enigmatically, in order that we might get to deep truth regarding the kingdom of God, regarding the rule and reign of Jesus. What does it actually look like to live under the rule of Jesus? What does it look like for for us to walk in step with the creator of the world and live according to his purposes? What would that look like? And so we've been looking at the parables and and trying to take a look at this world from from God's eye view, if you like, or from Jesus' take on life. And uh, it's been great. um, I've been teaching uh, recently in a number of places and on two occasions in the last month, I've encountered people in different parts of Scotland who've said, I've heard you many times, but I've never seen you, which is always a bit worrying. You know, they said, we've been listening on podcasts, they've heard you speak, and we've never seen you, and both of them, different places, said, you sound a lot younger. (laughs) This is really disappointing. In every way, I was trying to weigh, weigh, weigh that up. You know, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It's definitely a bad thing. You sound a lot younger. One of the things that we're trying to do with this whole series is get beyond the sound of Jesus' voice. Get beyond exactly what he's saying. Get underneath the surface. What is he really saying? What is the truth that he's really trying to pinpoint? What is the the, the kind of light that he's trying to shine into our world? How do we get one rung below the surface? How do we how do we get down? So we can actually understand what is God saying about life? What's his view? And on this occasion, some occasions, Jesus is quite enigmatic in his parables. You know, there was a man, there was a king, there was a father. On this occasion, it's incredibly clear. So if you come out of this talk and you're not really clear about what Jesus is actually saying, I've not done my job correctly because it's very, very obvious stuff. Because God wants you to know what he thinks about life. God wants you to know what he thinks about your life, what his perspective on your life is. You see, we get very myopic, very short-sighted, don't we? We get very kind of immediate. We want to know what's happening tomorrow and what's happening the next day and what's happening the next year. And we don't see the long road. We don't see the long walk. We don't see the, the big picture. And we get very tunnel-visioned. It's all about us. It's all about me, myself, and I, and, and, and everything else. You know, we don't see the wide picture. We don't see the wide stuff. We don't really see what God is doing in this world. We just get very myopic, and we get very tunnel about things. And Jesus says, I want to tell you something that's going to give you a big picture. I want you to see the long run. I want you to see the big picture. I want you to see the vision. And he starts to talk. And this is massive. It's very simple but it's massive. He tells a story, Matthew 21, verse 33, about some tenants 
in a vineyard. Now you need to understand that he tells this story as a response to an accusation and a question that the, 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 the religious guys, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the, or the Levites, the guys who are wanting to trip him up and don't like him because he's really throwing hand grenades into their world, they're asking him a question. The question they're asking is this, by what authority are you doing these things? Now these things, the things they're talking about are the healings. By what authority are you making blind people see, deaf people hear, and lame people walk? Come on. What authority are you doing this stuff? By what authority are you going into the temple and getting a whip and throwing people out of the temple? By what authority are you casting over the religious system? What authority is yours? Why are you doing this stuff? Why are you here, Jesus? Jesus, very Jesus, tells them a story which probably really irritated them at that moment. I want you to know who I am and what I'm doing so you can really live. Listen to the parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, he dug a wine press in it, and he built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. Now, those listening would know exactly what Jesus was talking about because in Herodian times, uh, very often wealthy landowners wouldn't live near their vineyard. They would just appoint people to look after their vineyard and they'd go away and do something else. So when the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them in the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? The Pharisees replied. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read it in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in his eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. Clever. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Let's just pray. Father, we're really excited about your word. We still have this thought that it's living and active. It's dangerous. It's going to change lives. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. We believe that you're here, present with us, but we, we want to appropriate that presence and invite you to come. Would you come? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you change our hearts? Would you change stuff? Would you come and rule in our lives? Help us to be clear 
about what you're saying. Holy Spirit, would you come? Amen. So Jesus tells this parable. And, and, and it's very simple, but if we're going to understand how simple it is and how profound it is, we're going to have to go through a few things. So you're up for that. Yeah, you're up for it. Thank you. Um, so, so the first thing I want you to recognize is who the characters are. God is the landlord. It's very obvious. He, he owns the vineyard. He planted it and he cultivated so that it would bear fruit. God the Father made this world. That's what we're being told. It's his vineyard. All the earth belongs to God, to him. You may be a tenant, but he is the owner. You, you, the, the piece of land that you own, if you own anything, you may be a tenant of it, but actually he owns it. Whatever patch you call home, it's his. The body that you inhabit, it's not yours. You're just a tenant. At the very beginning of time, God gave an edict to his followers. He said to his people, he said, I want you to be stewards of everything, of this whole world, not owners. One of the biggest problems that the, the human race ever got itself into is when it starts trying to own stuff. So it all belongs to God. and We hold it like this, but when we start to hold it like this, that's when problems ensue. God is the owner of the vineyard. The vineyard is Israel. I mean, everyone listening to the parable, we're going, we know exactly who the vineyard is. The vineyard is Israel, just like, because, because the vine was the symbol of Israel, just like the, 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 the thistle or the lion are the symbol of Scotland, depending upon what kind of mood it's in. But, you know, and, 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 and the bald eagle is, is, the, is the symbol of, of America. You know, the, the vine and Israel, they knew that. Vine Israel, vine Israel. They knew it because 700 years before, Isaiah had spoken, God had spoken through the prophet Isaiah and said this, my people are like a vine to me. I tend them that they might be fruitful. They knew they were the vine. If you, they knew because if you went up to the temple in Jerusalem in Jesus' day, embossed across the front of the temple was a beautiful embossed vine because Israel was the vine. And if you went into the temple, almost all the art was about vines because Israel was the vine. God wants fruit. The tenants are the religious leaders. The religious leaders who are supposed to represent God to the people and aren't representing God to the people, that's why there is no fruit. And Israel itself is also tenants because they were supposed to represent to other nations what it looks like when God is your God. People were supposed to look in and see Israel and go, that's what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. See that compassion, see that mercy, see that justice, see that peace, see that power, see that merit. So there's miracles. That's what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of God. And the religious leaders hadn't led in that way and the people hadn't followed in that way. The servants are the prophets. See, what God does in the history of Israel is he sends faithful men. In fact, they almost always were men. He sent faithful men again and again and again to the people of Israel to say, come back to me. God says, come back to me. Will you repent? Will you think differently? And will you act differently? And will you come back to me because I love you? But it didn't bode well for the prophets. I mean, Elijah ran for his life. Jeremiah was mocked and thrown into a pit and left for dead. Zechariah was murdered. John the Baptist was beheaded. That's what happens to prophets. If any of you are thinking of doing the prophecy course, 
And I'm sure you'll do some kind of survey, work out whether you're a prophet or not. Good luck with that. But that's what happens to prophets. You know, God says the servants, they get killed. And finally, God sends his son, Jesus. It's interesting that the climax of this story is not the, sending, is not the death of the son, but the sending of the son. The climax of the story, Jesus says, is not the death of the son, the sending of the son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's an incredible thing that the owner of the world, having been rejected and abused, having had every, every time he has sent in his patience and his love and his mercy, people to say, would you turn back to me? Come on. That he should try again and send his son into this world. It's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. The, the, the ancient Jewish people had a word for it. The word was macrothymia. It's coming up on the screen. There you go. Macrothymia. Well, do, you, do you want to say that with me? Let's say that. One, two, three. Mac. Oh, no, no, not quite right. Say it again. One, two, three. Macroth. Now, I have absolutely have no idea how you say that word, but, uh, but it sounded great, and it, it means this. They had a word for it, and they had a concept for it. It means somebody who has the power to extract vengeance but chooses not to. Somebody who has the power to extract vengeance but chooses not to. Someone who is deeply merciful. Someone who relents. Someone who holds back. And, and, and the people listening to Jesus, they knew about this concept. They just hadn't seen it much in practice. But God sends his son. If you were retelling the story today, it would be very different. We probably wouldn't be talking about vineyards. We'd probably be talking about a, a property owner who had some flats in Marchmont and he rented it out to some students. It was only a four-bedroom flat, but six students were trying to live in it. There was one room that was big, and so they divided it in two, but you could still hear one another. And one of the students, they're all boys, had a box room with no ventilation and no, you know the one, that's not actually a room, it's a cupboard, but you pretend it's a room. And so you, there were six of them. And the six of them, they were rowdy students. Some of you would know these guys. Maybe some of you are these guys. And, um, and they decided we don't want to pay the rent because the rent means that we can't have Sky Sports, beer, and tickets to the Autumn Internationals. So we're not going to pay the rent. So they decide not to pay the rent. And then one day, about November, they get a letter through the post from the landlord. It says, please pay the rent. But having had a few beers, they tear the letter up and they put it into the black wheelie bin. Well, they would have put it into the black wheelie bin, but they don't know where the black wheelie bin is. They put it into a black bag that stays in the hall for about three weeks, because they're boys. And, and, and then they just forget the whole thing. You know, they say, well, the, you know, rent schment. It doesn't matter. It's okay. And then February comes around. And when February comes around, the, the landlord says, oh, this is enough is enough. I'm going to send somebody. So he sends a man. The man is an agent. He comes to the door. He knocks on the door. And the guys beat him up. They say, we're not going to pay any money. Who do you think you are? And they beat the guy up and they leave him without many clothes. And he goes back. I don't know why he's got no clothes. I don't know where that came from. But, they, but he, 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 he heads off. Gosh, what's going on here? He heads off, he heads off back. A, a month later, the, 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 the landlord sends another guy and he gets beaten up and he ends up in the infirmary. And what does the landlord do? I'll tell you what he should do. He should wait until the Easter break. And then he should go into the flat 
and he should take all the possessions of the six smelly students and he should throw them out of the tenement window and then he should change the locks and they'll never get a place from him again. But instead he sends his son, Macra Thymia. He should take vengeance, but he relents. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so Jesus says to the Pharisees, you don't like me very much, but you wanna know by whose authority and why I'm here and what I'm doing, I have come to collect the rent. Come to collect the rent. And those of you who've been hanging around in church for a while, you think, no, 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 no. That all sounds a bit formal and official. Jesus comes to love us. No, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The passage of scripture says Jesus has come to collect the rent. He's come to collect the rent. And it was a bit of a shock. It was a shock to the guys listening because they were expecting that God was going to come and sort out the Romans. They were expecting that God was going to come and sort somebody else out. They were expecting that God was going to come and release Israel and suddenly Israel was going to be restored to exactly the kind of place that Israel always should be. And Jesus says, no, I've come to collect the rent. I'm a debt collector. And he's here today. And he says the same thing. I've been sent into a world that ignores the Father, that ignores the kingdom of God, that ignores the justice and mercy and truth and love and life and compassion of God, rejects his kingdom, sometimes deliberately, sometimes inadvertently, and decides to do life on its own, in its own way. He decides to say, I can do it, I can fix it, I can make it, I can run it, and inadvertently sticks two fingers up at God and then wonders why it doesn't work. Wonders why it all goes pear-shaped. It wonders why it, it just doesn't compute and it doesn't add up. And Jesus says, I've come to collect the rent. This world doesn't belong to you. You don't own it. You're stewards, not owners. I've come to collect the rent. You don't own your life. I've come to collect the rent. And listen very, very carefully. This is brilliant because the subtlety is that the rent due is love. I mean, what the rent looks like is living right, righteousness. What the rent looks like is obedience, law. But what it is like is love. That's what the law was driving towards. That's what the prophets were always saying. God says, I love you and I need you to respond with love. That's the deal. That's the covenant relationship I want to have with you. That's what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 6. God says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2 verse 2. I remember the devotion of your youth, how you you loved me, now continue to love me. That's what the whole book of Hosea is about, a book which describes the faithful, enduring love of God and finishes with, return, O Israel, to me and to my love. Jesus says, I've come to collect the rent. My Father has loved you with an everlasting love. And what he's desperate for is love in return. That's what's due. That's what the law was about. That's what the prophets are about. That's what righteousness is about. That you would return to the love relationship that you always were supposed to have with the creator of the universe. I've come for the rent. 
The ironic thing is, the thing that God wants most in this world, the worship that flows from love, is ironically the one thing that he can't make happen. Have you ever thought that? The thing that God wants most in this world is ironically the one thing he cannot make happen. He has decreed he will not make happen. I cannot make you love me. Because forced love is not love. I need to set you free to decide to love me, to decide to choose me, to decide to walk righteously, to decide to obey me, to decide to keep the law, to decide to walk in lockstep with me and obey my commandments. I have determined I will not force you. And Jesus says, I've come to ask for the rent. And guys, this is so important because if you can pay the rent, then you can be aligned correctly with the Father who loves you then you can walk in the cool of the day in the garden, then you can walk according to purpose and according to design because that's who you were created to be. I've come for the rent, Jesus says. And you can't pay. So I'm here to pay the rent. I'm here to pay the rent. I'm, I'm here to die for you, which is crazy. When we, when we read that passage of scripture, we say, well, Jesus, you didn't know that. I mean, you're just showing up as, as, as the son of the, 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 the farmer, the owner, and, and, and they're going to kill you, and it's not your fault. No, no, no. Jesus knew. You know, just in, 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 in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus has just been describing the fact that he, the whole of his life is about heading towards the cross. He knows that he's going to die. He t- he's telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Uh, and then James and John, their mum shows up. You remember the story. James and John's mum say, my kids, my boys are so great. Do you know, can they sit on your right hand side, your left hand side? And Jesus, Jesus says, no. They, they can't drink the cup that I'm about to drink. He knows exactly where he's going and what's going to happen to him. And he still fronts up to the vineyard. I'm going to pay the rent. I'm going to die for you. And the reason this place is so full this evening is not because we got really cool music, although it is amazing, isn't it? It's great. It's not because we've got cool music. The reason this place is so full tonight is because there are packs, it's packed with people, ram-packed full of people who know that Jesus came to die because we couldn't pay the rent. That's why you're here. That's why you get up. That's why you, that's why you get up so early in the day. That's why you don't go out doing something else because you know fundamentally, that's why you sing songs of worship, that's why you bother to listen to me because you know that Jesus came to pay the rent that you couldn't pay. And he's alive and he's, and he's worthy. And you say, maybe, but, but I don't refuse to pay the rent. I don't know where you got that idea from. Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Every time you choose not to obey God, you say, no, I'm not paying the rent. Every time you choose to respond to his love by not passing it on, you don't pay the rent. Every time you hurt someone created in the image of God, you you don't pay the rent. Every time you abuse this world, this creation that God has given to us to be stewards of, you don't pay the rent. Every time you become the judge of your own life, you're not paying the rent. Every time you love anything more than him, every time you end up worshiping something else, you're not paying the rent. And Jesus says, that's why I've got to pay. 
I've got to pay. And Jesus dies. And the tenants, us, we kill the son. How will God respond? The Pharisees answer the question. They, they know how God's going to respond. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they say, and he will give the vineyard to others. Quite right, says Jesus. The kingdom of God will be taken away and will be given to a people who produce fruit. And up to that point, we kind of like the story. Because it was about love and the rent flew us for a moment. We think, oh, Jesus didn't kind of pay the rent, but then we realize the rent is love. That's okay, we can deal with that. It sounds nice and we can go away. But then, then, then we realize that, that Jesus is saying God is a judge. He judges who's going to bear fruit and who's not going to bear fruit. He's going to take it away from one group of people and he's going to give it to somebody else. And, and that doesn't... That means that yeah, we're good. That doesn't sit very comfortably with us because we like the love stuff, but we we struggle with the justice stuff. But then, if if we think about it, maybe we don't struggle with the justice stuff. We really want a God who's just, don't we? We don't like to think about, but we do want a God who's just. We we, we want a God who's going to have a an idea and a view and judge correctly what's going on right now in Iraq. I do. I want a God who's going to bring people to justice, who behead people. I want a God who's going to sort out Gaza and Palestine, because I'm not going to be, I don't think any of us are going to be a sorter. I want a God who's going to sort it out and say, that's, that's right, that's correct, that's good, that's not good. I want, a, I want a God who knows, who sees, who loves, but who judges. I want victims to get justice. And I want a God to define what's right and what's wrong. Jesus says the kingdom of God will be taken away from Israel and will be given to others. I'm here to die, says Jesus, for justice. I'm here to die because the rent has not been paid. In fact, the rent can't be paid. You can't pay. And to satisfy justice, somebody has to pay. Where there is a debt, there always is someone who takes the hit. Ask any building society, any bank, any loan shark, any brother. Somebody's going to take the hit unless you pay the debt. Jesus takes the hit for you, for me, literally in his body. For my rejection and your rejection, for my inability to return love, for my inability to pay, the Father says, I'm giving you another chance. In the body of my son. And then Jesus says one more thing. I, I, I'm not just here to collect the rent and to pay the rent. I'm here so that you can live rent free. That's what I want for your life. And then Jesus flips the whole metaphor. If you haven't got it already, you need to understand how important this is. So he starts talking differently. And he changes the, the metaphor from a vineyard to a building. And he starts talking about capstones and cornerstones. And it all sounds a bit enigmatic, but let me explain it. Because I'm now on familiar ground. Because I've watched Grand Designs. And I, I understand completely all about buildings and plumbing and windows. And you know, I, I could never build anything, but I like to think I could because I've seen it all and I know how to do it and, and I, I'm all over it. But 
That's irrelevant. But Jesus says, look, I want you to understand stones. And I want you to understand buildings. And, and, and all the commentators reckon that Jesus probably is looking at the great temple in Jerusalem. And he says, I want to talk to you about the corner stone. If you're building a temple in ancient times and you didn't have all the technology, what you would need to do is find a great big rock. He found a huge rock, one that was definitely going to be stable. It didn't need to be straight, but everything needed to be straight off of that rock. And so you'd look for a huge stone, and if you went into the foundations of the temple, you'd find these huge rocks. That would become the cornerstone, and everything would be aligned to the cornerstone. It would be the safety and security and foundation and authority of the building. Jesus says, I've come to collect the rent. And I've come to pay the rent, but I've also come so that you might be rent free forever. I've come so that you can build your life off of me. And Jesus says the, the cornerstone that I am might easily be rejected. And Jesus is, is odd. Probably doesn't go down very well in some religious circles saying that, but Jesus is odd. He's not the kind of straight kind of guy that, you know, it's neat and tidy and you just pick Jesus up and go, that'll be a nice cornerstone. Everything's going to be neat off of that. No, no, Jesus is odd. He's kind of too rural. He's not urban enough. He's too single. He's not married enough. He's too, he's too poor. He's not rich enough. He's too unsophisticated. He never traveled. He never wrote any books. He didn't write a blog. He didn't have a Twitter account. He didn't have any of that kind of stuff. He's just not sophisticated at all. And, and, and in our pluralist age, it, it begins to, he's also really irritating. You ever notice that about Jesus? He says things that just like kind of get under your skin. He's kind of irritating. He's kind of annoying. It kind of doesn't fit in a, in a postmodern, you know, politically correct kind of age. It just, it just doesn't work. Jesus has a whole bunch of stuff that you wish he, he, he didn't say. Have you ever noticed that? No one? There's a whole bunch of stuff in the Bible I wish Jesus never said. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except they come through me. That doesn't sit very well. It doesn't preach very well. Preach is okay with a bunch of already convinced people, but don't preach very well because Jesus is basically saying, in a world that's lost its way, I am the way definitive. There's no other way. Oh, good. In a world where the truth is relative, it's your truth, my truth, anyone's truth, whatever truth you happen to want to believe in any minute, at any time, I am absolute truth you can place your life upon. I'm the cornerstone. I'm the rock. Everything else is not truth. I'm truth. In, in a world where life is so often a pretense and a sham, having a great time, I am life that's real, that goes on forever. You're not going to get life unless you get life in me. And if you want to come to know the Father, and if you want to be right with the landowner, then the only way is me. Well, that doesn't fit, does it? It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't preach very well. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you want resurrection and you want life, I'm the only way. I am the only way to resurrection and life, by the way. And Jesus talks in a, in a really annoying and difficult way. And sometimes I often say, if only I'd been there to form Jesus, he wouldn't have got in so much trouble. Because he was always doing it, you know. He, he shows up in a place called Samaria. And he's walking through Samaria. He probably shouldn't have been there. 
You kind of believe it was a divine appointment. He was, he was meeting a woman of Samaria by a well. She's already nervous and probably a bit ostracized. And they have this fantastic talk. Jesus breaks into her life in an incredible way. They have this theological conversation about where you're going to worship and why you should worship and what true worship is. And Jesus nails the argument. I mean, big plaudits. And he has this conversation. And then, just before he should have walked away and gone... He says, go call your husband. And she says, I haven't got a husband. And he should have left it there. But Jesus says, no, you're right when you say you haven't got a husband. You've had five. And the guy that you're living with now is not your husband. And now she feels great about herself. But what Jesus is wanting to do is he wanted to shine the light of truth into her heart so she begins to recognize how deeply thirsty she is and how desperate she is without God. That's what he's trying to do. And, 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 but it's just annoying and irritating. Jesus is an oddball. And Jesus says, but unless you take that oddball, which is the cornerstone, and you build your life, the builders would reject it. But if you, unless you build your life off of that stone, you will not have life that is rent free. You will not have life in all its fullness. Guys, that's why your relationships don't work. Because unless Jesus is the first rock and the main rock and the solid rock and the cornerstone, if even if he's the second rock or the third rock, unless he's the first rock, no relationship is actually going to work. That's why your finances are not working, because Jesus is the cornerstone. Unless you make him the cornerstone, it's just not going to work. That's why your parenting doesn't work, because Jesus is the cornerstone. He knows how to do it. He loves your kids more than you love your kids, if you've got any kids. And if you haven't got any kids, you'll work it out later on. But, you know... That's why it doesn't work. That's why your career is not working. That's why your studies are not working. That's why you're frustrated. That's why you're struggling because Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the first rock. He's not the, he's not the second rock or the third rock. He's not a nice addition to a comfortable life. You know, you get yourself a degree. You get yourself a life partner. You get yourself a, a car. You get yourself a house. You get yourself some kids. And you get yourself some Jesus. And you add him onto your equation and it's all nice. No, no, no. Jesus says, actually, if you do it that way, way it will go badly for you in fact the cornerstone will crush the other rocks whoa that's what he's saying Jesus is the cornerstone guys if you, if you want to live a life and God wants you to live a life that is blessed he doesn't hate you he loves you doesn't want to make your life difficult. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to heal you up. He wants to release you to run with the dreams that he's placed in your heart. He wants you to find companions for life who will bring joy into your life and comfort into you. That's what he wants for you. He wants to prosper you in every right understanding of that word prosper. He wants to do that. But he says, you know what? I can't do it unless you begin to build off of me that I'm the cornerstone. And, and, and what he may need to do with some of us is a deconstructing and then a reconstructing. Because we built off other things. We built off other ambitions. We built off other appetites. 
We said, that'll satisfy us. And we'll stand on that. And, and then we realized that the train wreck of our life was because we didn't build on the cornerstone. And Jesus says, guys, you want to know why I'm here? I'm here to collect the rent. The rent is love. The Father has loved you with an everlasting love. And the right response to that love is to love him back. You love him back by obeying him, by walking righteously with him. It's called love. You can't pay the rent that's due. So I'm going to pay the rent for you. I'm going to die in your place. The perfect sacrifice so that you can go rent free. And if you want to live rent free, I didn't die just so that you would be square with the Father. I died so that you could have life in all its fullness. If you want to live rent free, then Christ alone, cornerstone. Then you make it your life. Then you build off of him and every decision you make and every relationship you build and every pound you spend becomes a spiritual decision because Jesus is at the heart and the start and the root and he's the authority of your life. Let's pray. Jesus, when, when describing the good news of his dad, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. God loves, he gave so the rent could be paid and you can go free. And all you've got to do, all you've got to do is accept that you owe a rent and ask him to pay it. And the Jesus who showed up back then showed up tonight, he's here. And just in the quietness where every head is bowed, and we'll, we'll do some ministry in just a moment, but in the quietness where every head is bowed. Some of you have been here for years, some of you are here for the first time tonight. Can I ask you if you, if you would love to leave this room tonight knowing that your debt has been paid and the rent is not due and Jesus took the hit and you can live rent free that you just pray this prayer in your heart after me Father I recognize that um, I don't own anything but I've tried to I've tried to run my life and own my life and live my life And I thank you for Jesus.
Thank you that you sent him to live for me and to die for me so that the rent might be paid. Thank you that I get an opportunity to live in your love. I accept Jesus right now. I accept his offer of paying my rent. I accept his life for mine. And would you come into my life, Jesus, and would you help me live rent-free so that I can run with the dreams that you've placed in my heart so I can live abundantly and freely and so I can know the Father. Come in and be my leader. Come in and be my saviour. I mean this. I ask it in Jesus' name. As every head is bowed, why don't you if, you, if you pray that prayer after me, why don't you just raise your hand? It's just me and Jesus. We would love just to. Uh, thank you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. We'd love to pray with you afterwards. Bless you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. We'd love to pray with you afterwards and give you some literature and to help you just begin to walk with Jesus. And there are some of you here today, maybe many of us, who recognize as we were talking about the cornerstone that actually we were trying to walk with Jesus but we made other things the cornerstone. Other relationships. Other ambitions. Other resolutions. Other goals. Other stuff. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you to come. I invite you to do a deconstruction of the buildings that we have built and a reconstruction based on Jesus. Here's the thing, guys. You have to let him because Jesus is not a bully and he will not knock your door down. He waits to be invited. So Holy Spirit, invite you to come. We invite you to come. Would you point out any area in our hearts and lives that needs dealing with so that we would stand on the solid rock that is Jesus? And we will walk with you.